Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Last week, Nick shared some significant things and uh, we certainly gave him permission to speak very freely. And he got up right at the start and he said three things over as, as a church and just what he, was, he had picked up in the 24 hours that he'd been here. And he said, first of all, he said, I want you guys to know you are a significant church. The second thing he said over us is he said, I feel like you're in a, uh, a season of spring. Uh, meaning that coming up to another decade, we're 18 and a bit years old, coming up to a bit of a decade, there's something of a preparation time for that third decade, whatever that looks like, and he um, said something along those lines. And the third thing he said, straight after that, was he said, I sense a restorative spirit on this church. And he said, you are a restorative church. Restorative. No, restorative. Restorative. A restorative church. And uh, I just said, okay, amen to that uh, when I heard that. And so I want to speak in and around that today. I want to begin by sharing with you something I shared with our youth on Friday night. Uh, Mark and Erin invited me uh, to come and speak to our youth group. They've been, over this term, uh, getting guest voices in to speak to our young people on a, on a Friday night. And so that's something happening this term. And uh, I shared with them something that's really become a life verse for me. When I was dedicated, my parents dedicated me not 42 years ago, that's really old, but almost 41 and a bit years ago, um, a lady came up, an elderly lady came up and said, I feel this scripture for your son. And it comes from Isaiah 58. And it simply says this, verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. That's a great promise. <clears throat> the Lord will guide you always. And a part of his guidance, the outcome of, will be this. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. So that is like personal benefits of being someone who is guided by the Lord. Satisfy my needs, strengthen my frame. And then it says, and you will then become a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. And this is now an outward looking. Not only does God guide us and therefore benefits us but out of that recreates us to be something that gives a spring that never stops pouring out and as a result of that it says this your people <coughs> your people will rebuild ancient ruins will raise up old foundations and you will be called a repairer and a restorer rebuild raise up repair restore i don't know if isaiah in the hebrew had the alliteration down like that but sure it works well in english doesn't it um, rebuild restore uh, the week before the week that we uh, left our old church to pioneer bayside back in august 2002 one of our the elders of our church tony Ide, a good friend of ours spoke this word over us from zephaniah chapter 3 it's in a great passage it is again a restorative prophetic word for god's people because how many of you know our god is a restorer yeah. now the, the first revelation of him is of a creator okay because there but as soon as a problem happened he revealed himself 
as restorer. As soon as Adam and Eve, there was a problem, he instantly revealed himself, not only as a creator of new things, but a restorer of things that once were. So our God is a restorer. And so he promises through the prophets over and over again when they go fall on hard times, mostly through their own stupidity, but he says, I am promised to restore you. And he says this in Zephaniah. It's the passage where God says, I rejoice over you with singing. Now, what happened earlier this morning when Malcolm was singing a song and the lyrics weren't on the screen, for those of you visiting, you might go, how how am I meant to sing along with that? Well, you weren't. None of us were. (laughs) This is a a spontaneous psalm of the Lord singing over his people. Okay, and so Zephaniah 3 actually says, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. We worship, we can sing because our God is a singer. We can be creative because our God is a creator. We can be artistic because our God is an artist. And we can sing before an angel ever sung a tune, God himself was a singer. God is a musician. Okay? And so he sings over his people, it says. And a couple of verses later, this is the, the word that came out in Zephaniah 3.19. At that time I will deal with those who oppressed you, and I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles, those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor. In every land where they have suffered shame. At that point, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore, when I restore, when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is an 18-year prophetic word given to us as a church family, a place of gathering, a church of restoration. And uh, this is something that is Nick picked up within 24 hours, but it's something that's been a part of our history for 18 years. How many of you somewhere in your life have experienced God's restorative hand and grace on your life? Come on. It could be emotional. It could be mental. It could be a restored passion. It could be a restored marriage. I know there's a few marriages here. It could be something of a restoration of a family. Jay just told us the story this morning of someone whose life was restored Uh, and uh, this is God is in the business of restoring and uh, like any good renovation or restoration show that you watch on TV name your favorite name your favorite building show okay the 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 restoration is always better than 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 the original they try to bring out the original beauty but the materials that are used are stronger the, the, the well unless they come from you know china or whatever but the materials they use are stronger and uh fresher and there's a new take it is restored not to the old it was restored to actually be better than the old and that's the idea of a restoration our god is into restoration and holistic restoration spirit soul and body amen we know the stories, many of you, of Peter, Simon Peter, had a bit of a temper and was, uh, had an issue where Jesus said to him once, as confident as you are, mate, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to deny me three times. Deny that you know me three times. You know, all know the story. At the moment of his death, a 10 or a 12-year-old girl, however old she was, intimidated Simon into saying, I've got nothing to do with Jesus. And he did it three times cock a doodle do oh my goodness uh, I can't believe I could do that and so that's why we preachers make a big deal out of what happens at the end of John's gospel where Jesus comes to him fishing John went back to fishing he just gave up oh, I've stuffed up man I've stuffed up I've denied Jesus three times goes out fishing ignoring Jesus it was good for three years but I've just blown it 
Out he goes and Jesus comes to him and he asks him a question three times. Do you love me, mate? I want you to feed my sheep. Do you love me? I want you to feed my people. Do you love me? I want you to take care of my lambs. Three times he denied. Three times Jesus reinstated Peter. This is the holistic uh, nature of our God. And I might be reading too much into this. But a couple of years ago, as I read through the Bible in a year chronologically, some of you did that with me, some of you are doing it now on social media, I noticed that in the history of God's people, they also had three waves of being taken away from the promised land and three waves of being brought back. Like Peter, three times they blew it and three times they were reinstated. I could be reading too much into that, but just go with me, okay? So the history of God's people, when they're doing well, basically the story leads up ultimately to David and Solomon and the temple's glorious God's city of Jerusalem. It's the greatest city in the known world at the time, and uh, the great city has been built, and because of the relationship that they had with God, God said, if you disobey me, I'm going to myself come out to curse you. It wasn't a good deal, but they agreed to it. And so what happens is that they are destroyed eventually by the Babylonian Empire there in Jerusalem. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes in three times to take people away. So he comes in and the first with the first wave of people he, he kidnaps, basically, there's a people smuggling operation. He kidnaps people and in that first wave was a guy called Daniel. That's when the prophet Daniel goes away to Babylon. The second time he steals people away, about 10, 15 years later, there's a guy called Ezekiel that's in that wave of exile. And the third time is basically when the city gets destroyed. Three times, Nebuchadnezzar imposes his hand and Jeremiah's there when that's happening. So three big characters, okay? Three times, Nebuchadnezzar uh, imposes his heavy hand. And then after 70 years, the prophets, Jeremiah was one of them who said, after 70 years, God's people will be restored. And what begins to happen in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah is that there are three waves of return. The first one, 543, uh, something like that, uh, the first one comes back with Zerubbabel. The next year, 15 years later, comes back with a guy called Ezra. And the third one, a wave of people come back with a guy called Nehemiah. So many of you would know those Bible characters, but they're basically uh, signified in those waves. And I think there's something there that maybe the New Testament authors are picking up with the whole Peter thing. But the point is this. When God's people come back in those three waves of restoration, the first thing that is restored is worship. Zerubbabel builds an altar. Zerubbabel lays a foundation of the temple. And the first thing that is restored in that community is worship at that place again. The second thing that is restored in Ezra is the word. Ezra is a scribe. <clears throat> and so he reads the scriptures out aloud to them and he reinstates, we will obey God's word. They pledge themselves to obey God's word again in its fullness. And then Nehemiah comes, third cab off the rank, and he reinstalls or rebuilds the, the walls. Worship the word and then the walls. And it's fascinating to me as we see the full circle of this year. That it was at the start of this year, God gave us, spoke to us from Nehemiah <clears throat> and said, this year, 2020, you need to understand that the joy of the Lord will be your... 
strength. We need strength for this year. <laughs> Who knew at the time why we needed such strength? You need strength for this year. The joy of the Lord will be key to that. And at the start of this year, that's where we did our series on Come Let Us. Come Let Us Together. It was out of that Nehemiah thing. Come Let Us. God through this rest, God is restorative and is speaking to us about being a restorative community. And so today, in response to what Nick brought last week and before Christmas gets too close, uh, I thought I'd commit myself to a bit of a mini-series on being a restorative community. Restorative church. We're not going to change the name of our church, by the way. And that's not a real URL. But uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't type it in. Restorativechurch.now. I only did that, really, because of the www, you see? Word and worship, word and the world. I thought I was being clever. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You know, I, I, I really do. I, 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 I try. WW. Whatever I can to have you remember just one thing, honestly. Just, just one. Um, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Ezra. Ezra just before Psalms. So Psalms in the middle of your Bible and Ezra and Nehemiah just before that, because it's the last of the history books. In fact, Ezra and Nehemiah is the last of the Old Testament story. Okay, Originally one book, I've shared that before, that's not, no big deal. But uh, let's read Ezra, I want to communicate out of this story today. Father, we thank you that you, who you've revealed yourself to be in the past means that we can have faith that that's who you are today. Because you never change. That's helpful. So the God of restoration is the God who is alive and well today, not only restoring individual lives, not only restoring families, restoring health, restoring emotions, restoring financial well-being, restoring families and relationships. You are the God of restoration. And you've called us to be, among other things, a restorative community. And to that we say, yes and amen. So we submit ourselves to your word today. Teach us and uh, let us know how you see that playing out. Amen. Amen. Ezra 1, just the opening verses here to give the context of these people starting to return in the first wave. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Stirred up the spirit of a man who didn't know him. That's awesome. God stirred up the spirit of a pagan king stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he might make a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of the heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. After all, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. The ancient world basically had the mentality, take it or leave it, okay, of regional gods. Okay, it's, it's prolific. It's all the way through the Bible. So there are multiple gods, and the God of Yahweh, the most high God, is the God over that patch of land. He is the God of Jerusalem, of Judah. Okay, that's why in one story, when uh, God's people are taken out of the promised land, and a foreign king, uh, the Assyrian guy, he puts in foreign uh, people to worship foreign gods on different mountains there, okay? And all of a sudden, lions come out and start attacking people. There's this ridiculous spree of ferocious killing lions around the place. And the king looks at that and goes, you know what? We're not worshipping the god of that region. 
That's the thing that came to his mind. The regional God of that area needs to be worshipped there. And so he sent people to worship Yahweh there. Okay? Whether that's true or not is not the issue. The issue is that's how they thought. There are regional gods over regional areas. And, and this king, during this part of history, he had a lot of people in his kingdom. And he did this not just for God's people, but for a lot of different people that were in his kingdom. He said, where are you from? Where's your homeland? Where's your motherland? Go back there and worship that God so it's good for me. <laughs> go over there make, that, make your God happy so the tides don't turn on me because everything's going good right now and I don't want any of your gods angry with me Okay, so it's a bit like that it's just the way it worked in the ancient world uh, let's read and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of this place with silver and gold give them goods give them beasts give them free will offerings for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem then rose up the heads of the fathers, the houses of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred. So God stirred the spirit of Cyrus to say, Yahweh should be worshipped. And then God stirred the spirit of the God's people who said, I will go. God stirred my heart. I will go and I will be a part of that to go and rebuild God's house. You see, history tells us even though God's people were in captivity in a foreign land, they were exiles and they were, they were promised to be there for 70 years, not all of them wanted to go back. If you grow up in a place, let's say you, you had to come here to Australia to escape a war in England or whatever, okay? You, you come over here, you grow up here. Your family's been here for 70 years and now England say, okay, come on, you, can, you guys can go back to England now. You might go, oh, no, I like Australia, actually. <laughs> Pretty good, mate. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's face it, England, they show way too much neighbours. So the point is, <laughs> who'd want to go back there? And so that's what God's, a lot of God's people did. Yeah, they, got a, they were invited to go back to Jerusalem, but they, a lot of them thought, I can't be bothered, actually. It's a bit too hard. I don't want to start all over again. Our family's been living here for two or three generations. Some of them that stayed were people like Mordecai and Esther. And we looked at that story the other week. They were here. They didn't go back. They stayed captives or they stayed in that area. But that's not the point, Chad. The point is he gave them a ticket to go. Off you go. You're allowed to go. And those whose spirits were stirred said, I'll go. I'm going to start again. I'm going to pioneer. I'm going to go back to the promised land, build God's house because we're going to, God is restoring us. And key to restoration is worship. And my spirit has been stirred. What's the point? A restorative community is a worshipping community. And one of the characteristics of a worshipping community is that they are a people whose spirits have been stirred. Point number one. They're stirred. People who are sensitive to the stirring. Sensitive to the stirring. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart that's where it starts that's where worship starts love the lord your god or serve the lord your god or whatever rendering it's supposed to be the point is it starts with the heart mind soul and strength it starts with the heart true worship in any form begins with a stirring of heart the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart it is willing not forced the scripture says god loves a cheerful giver this is a heart issue a stirring of the heart because god has done a work in our heart and so let's say restoration is first and foremost an inside job now it might begin it might spark by physical need being met but something is broken in the heart something is released in the heart what may have happened with that story that jay just shared 
the giving of a gift that shared that opened someone's heart and so there's a psalm psalm 45 that says my heart is stirred by a noble theme have you read that before my heart is stirred by a noble theme it's a wedding psalm that's why you're seated like this today you wondered why the chairs are a little bit different we had a wedding here yesterday and uh congratulations Crichtons, if you if you're watching uh my heart is stirred by a noble theme that was a psalm 45 to be sung at weddings god wants a worshiping community a worshiping community is characterized by sensitivity 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 to god's stirring how many of you want to be more sensitive to the stirrings of god okay i'm not happy with that <laughs> how many of you would never put your hand up even if a preacher asks ah, gotcha how many of you want to be more sensitive to the spirit stirring? Hey, put your hand on your heart. <sighs> Holy Spirit, I open my senses to you. I'll be sensitive to the stirrings. The stirrings of your heart, the stirrings in the spirit. I want to know when the dove has rested on my shoulder. Sensitive to the landing. Let me be a landing place of your Holy Spirit. I will know where you're leading. I will know where you're guiding. I will know when you're calling. I will know what you are doing. As Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father's doing. As he was sensitive to your work. So also we want to be sensitive to what you are doing. Sensitive to what you are saying. So, Lord, we commit our senses to you. Our eyes, our ears, our smell, our touch, that inner voice. I want to be more sensitive to you today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for drawing near. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Don't be so sensitive. No, no, be sensitive. Be sensitive. Verse 6. Keep reading. All their neighbours, after this decree was given, Ezra 1.6, all their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and valuable gifts in addition to the free will offerings. This is, does that sound familiar to you? When God's people want to go somewhere and their neighbours say, well, here's some money. It happened in Egypt. Do you remember that? So it's kind of like echoing. There's this thing in the Bible called echoes. Or uh, illusions, echoes, yeah, they're a little bit different. But this is like a, an illusion or an echo to what happened at Exodus. It's kind of like the, the author put that verse in deliberately because he wants people to think, <gasps> this is what happened in Exodus and it's happening again, you know. It's like, isn't God just like that to uh, do things in a similar but fresh way? There you go. So they were given gold and silver. The next, the next chapter, uh, verse 68, says this. Chapter 268. When they eventually arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the building of the house of God in its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury 61,000 darics of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Okay, you think, what the heck is that? Well, I did a bit of calculation this morning. I think we're looking, I think we're looking about $46.5 million, I think. I don't know how much the garments were worth, but in gold and silver, 
Uh, it's around about that. Verse 70, the priests, Levites, musician. No, no, that's not the one I want to read. Okay, verse 69. According to their ability, they, they gave. Second thing about a worshipping community, not only are they sensitive to stirring, because the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart, but a worshipping community is known to be sacrificial in giving. Sacrificial in giving. And the reason I wanted to reread the verse 69 is because it says, they each according to their ability, they gave. You see, everyone's able to be generous. We are all able to be generous. Um, If I saw someone that was really in need, 50 bucks for me 10 years ago was pretty generous. (laughs) I could... It was not as generous for me now, okay, 10, 10 years later, because generosity is proportional and everyone can be generous. This is why a little old lady can come to the temple, whack in a couple of two silver coins, and Jesus is like, she did better than the rest of you lot. You know, with her with her little two, two silver coins. Why? Because her proportion was generous, you know. She gave out a proportional giving. This is the whole, this is the whole thing. So everyone has the ability to be generous, and this is what we see here, the second thing. Sacrifice, sacrificially generous. After all, Jesus said, if your heart is somewhere, then what else is going to be there straight away? Your treasure. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. And one of the reasons that gener- generosity creates a restorative environment, restorative environment is because generosity does have the ability to change people's hearts how many of you ever done that fun thing where you've been at a cafe and you've just turned it around to the person behind you and said what do you want latte let me shout you okay next week i want to see more nods okay far more nods it's so fun and uh just surprise someone come on four bucks you can do it uh, a little less at damo's place but uh go go when you're at a cafe Ask it, you know, if they're out with 20 friends, you know, judge, judge who you're, you're looking at. You never know. <laughs> I'm here for work. There's 50 of us. <laughs> um, okay. But maybe if so you see someone, you think, can I shout you a coffee? What do you want? Let me pay. Pay it forward. Be generous. You can, we can all be generous on every occasion. It is something that can change people's hearts. The Proverbs say, Proverbs 18:16 says, a man's gift makes way for him. It opens doors for him. A man's gift opened doors. Now, depending on your context, you might have heard that as someone's talent opens doors for them. Well, it's actually a dad talking to his son to saying, listen, you will have an audience with certain people when you give them a gift first. Because sometimes people won't listen to you, but if you just say to them, hey, I've got something for you. Boom, you've got an open door to then say more. A man's gift opens doors to speak to people. Proverbs 18.16. This is one of the things that we see in the weird story of Jesus in Luke. We've got these parables of the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. You know those stories? The very next one is the scrupulous steward, the guy who cut people's debts in half. Remember that? And the boss, his boss said to him, good job, mate. Well done for doing that because you've understood that you can win friends for yourself in heaven. There's something about generosity, being generous, that can actually lead people to eternal life. Lead people. You can't pay for people's salvation, for goodness sake. I don't have to say that, surely. But there's something about being generous that opens people's hearts because you are demonstrating, we are demonstrating what God is like. And so it's that part of the mystery of that parable of, uh, of how it, you win friends for eternity. Money is restorative because it opens people's hearts and also because it just, quite frankly, does the job 
in meeting needs. Another reason for a worshipping community, restorative community, is one that is generous, is because it is generosity that practically meets needs. Money says to a vision, I can fulfill you. To a building, I can build you. To poverty, I can feed you. To the naked, I can clothe you. To a ministry, I can support you. To a child, I can educate you. To a vulnerable, I can protect you. To opportunity, I can take you. Because money is not the root of all evil. Hashtag stuff Jesus never said. Okay, Stuff Jesus never said. Money is not the root of all evil. Loving money is the root of all evil. Loving all money, greed, power, control, it all comes from there. Loving money is a root. Money itself is a tool to get a job done. The tool to get a job done. And one of the things, like any tool, you can hit the nail on the head or you can hit yourself on the head. Same with money. You can either do it to, const- to be destructive or you can do something constructive with it and a, a worshipping community that knows we are in the business of restoring people. That means we're a, a worshipping community and part of worship is being sacrificial in giving. And as we come into the Christmas season, it's probably a good time for us to be reminded of that. Two down, two to go. God has called you, church, to be a restorative community, a community of worship. It means being a people who are sensitive to stirring, sensitive to the spirit stirring. It means to be a people that are sacrificial in their giving. Thirdly, it means to be a people who are settled, who are settled in community, Because worship is a team sport. Yes, it's a very individual thing because you can work on your own game. But worship is a team sport. And restoring people, providing an environment of restoration is a team sport. And so the type of community God's called us to be are people who are settled in community. The very next verse, in chapter 2, verse 70, after all this giving takes place, They bring their free will offerings to build the temple for worship is the point of the story. And then verse 70 says this, the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers and temple servants settled in their towns along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. Then afterwards when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people then assembled together as one. Assembled together as one. As one. This is a people, a worshipping, restorative community that were a community, that were settled together. Because settled people settle people. Settled people settle restless people. It's one of the reasons that people can feel at home in this church so quickly. Some people, not everyone, everyone's different, but some people can feel at home here or at least feel that it is like a home here. So someone like Nick within one meeting can come and go, I can feel something on you as a church. One of the reasons for that is because there's a high proportion of you that are settled. And by settled, I don't mean lazy. Because remember, this group of people were a pioneering people. 
they were the first ones to go. When everyone else, Mordecai, Esther, good as you were, but they still wanted to stay, right? We don't want to go. 50, only 50,000 of them, there's far more than that, but only 50,000 said, we'll be a pioneering people. First cabs off the rank. We're willing to do something that's never been done before. We're willing to take God at his word. We're willing to be like Joshua and Caleb. They'll go back to the promised land to restore. And yet they knew part of that pioneering meant we're putting our roots down. Part of that pioneering means we are settling where God has called us. So they're not like a lazy, these are hardworking people because it took work for them to rebuild and restore and get their farms back and running, their houses back and running. War had come through and destroyed the land. They had a lot of work to do. It would have been far easier to stay in Persia. They came back, they were pioneering people, but they knew it takes us to put our roots down here if we're going to be a restorative community. Why? Because other waves are going to come back. And God help us. They're going to find this place better than what we did when we got here. They're going to find, I'm going to make it. When that group comes back, they're going to find a settled community that know what it is to come together as one. I've been thinking recently, and Nick made me do this because I, I shared with him the other day, but when I felt, thought recently about the 18 years of our history, and I shared this with a church plant a few weeks ago in Kadena, a new church. And I said, you know, one of the best things, one of your best friends as a brand new church will be time. Because there's only certain things can only happen over time. There's certain credibility that can only come over time and longevity. And while it's great to be a part of a church family where there are new faces, new people moving to the area this morning I can see, and new people who God, God has connected into this church family, maybe coming back from, uh, from, uh, from journeys, come, going away, coming back, whatever the case is, it's great to see fresh faces. But you know what is a great privilege to be part of a church where there are some old faces around? And there's something about, I mean, Nick said it's rare to have a lead pastor couple that have been in a church for 18 years, but I want to say I think it's amazing that we have people in this church that have been here for 10, 15, 16, 17, 18 years as well. There's something about you guys, you oldies, that have been part of this church since you were a kid, Mahalia, since you were teenagers, other people. Some, some people here, this is the only church they've known. There's something about the longevity of people that have stuck around. And I think that's great because it brings a level of security and stability. You know, I was often taught by my old pastor, he said, you look over, if you want to, not judge, judge a person, not, not the right word, but evaluate, uh, evaluate the character of a person. You can tell a lot by looking over their shoulder. How many long-term friends do they have? What type of relational trail do they have in their history? And there's something about coming into a church environment where there's people who've been here for a long time because they've weathered storms. They've seen through the varnish and the nice lights. Okay? They've gone through the honeymoon period. They know that the guy might be preaching today, he's got a lot of problems. <laughs> but they've stuck it through. And that says a lot. There's great value in being a pioneering settler. Isn't that what the Americans called the pioneers? They called them the settlers. Pioneering and settling go hand in hand. So I want to thank you. Last week, um, we actually I, I, I had a formal meeting with our landlords where we renewed our lease in this building for five years because we've been here for 10 years. Uh, and that made me think, I so want to thank those of you in our church that have been here for 10 years. You've made a spirit of security here that helps us to have a restorative environment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's amazing that we could, we could triple in size in that, that last 
10 years or so, largely because of the security of people that go the distance. Thank you for that settling. And this this year, as Jay was sort of hinted at before, has been an unsettling year for many people. And part of the restoration for some people is finding a place of peace where they can put their roots down. And I want to encourage you, um, if that is you, find a place where you can invest your roots, put your roots down and be settled. Lastly, we see a, a worshipping community. A restorative community is a community of worship. Number one, they are stirred in the spirit. Number two, they are <laughs> sacrificial in giving. Number three, they are settled in community. And lastly, they are submitted to truth. Submitted to truth. We keep reading there in chapter 3. As after they come together as one in their assembly. Finish with this, verse 2. Then Joshua, son of Jotadak, and his fellow... There's a good kid's name, Danny and Alicia. Think of that. Jotadak. I think that's good. And his fellow priests are rubbable. Hey, yeah, so you can have that one. Man, they're high scores, aren't they, in Scrabble? <laughs> Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Hello to the uh, Donaldson family of four today, if you're watching as well. Um, chocolate coming. Get serious. The Joshua, son of Josedak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice the burnt offerings on it in accordance with what? is written. Stop. In accordance with what is written. In accordance with what is written. They just didn't do their own thing. They just didn't do what Cyrus told them. They did it according to what was written. In the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite the fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation of sacrifice, burnt offerings to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. They were so committed to written truth even when offended others, even when others intimidated them, even when there was fear coming at them. It's okay to experience fear, very normal. Courage is continuing to go in the face of fear. Okay, so they were courageous in their convictions. That's when I do a sermon on seas. Then, in accordance with what is written, verse 4, accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, human sacrifices and sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals as the Lord. Do you kind of see a theme here? According to what was written, appointed, according to what Moses had said. Verse 10 then says this, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the priests, the vestments, trumpets and Levites, the son of Asaph, with the symbols, they took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by King of David in accordance with what was written, accordance with what was written, prescribed for each day, as prescribed by King David. They're not just worshipping their own way. Now it's fresh. It's a new thing. God's restoring. But they're doing what God has said. They are upholding the scripture. They are submitting to truth. Verse 11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord He is good and his love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise 
shout. Come on, somebody give me a shout of praise to the Lord. <laughs> because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Gee, Chad, worship's about singing. Well, hang on. Before the singing, there was a stirring because of sensitivity to the Spirit. There was sacrificial giving. There was a, help me, settling in community, recognizing that this is a team sport. There was a submitting to truth and then the singing and the worship and what you and I often call, well, that's the worship now, you see. The worship's the singing and the music. The worship's what, what these guys do on the platform. That's the worship. Then you have the word time. Then you have this time. Then we have the... No, no, no. The whole thing's worship. The worship people, a worshiping community are a people because they're committed to truth. And they know that we know that worship is far more than a song. I give you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have desired. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. But you have stirred my heart. You have stirred my heart. Restoration is about freedom, finding freedom. And Jesus said that there is something that sets people free and it is truth. It is truth that sets free in accordance with what is written. A restorative community, a community of worship holds and submits to truth. Are submitted to truth. And that is a value that despite our age or generation we need to personally take a hold of. There is such a thing as objective truth. And there is such a thing as saying, I accept it and I submit to it. I went to uni in the 90s and we were told about postmodernism. And essentially, postmodernism was the trying to do away with objective truth. Um, and a lot of that has become now in our culture doing away with objective truth for the sake of accepting anything that people see differently. It's okay if you see differently your truth. So you see, that's your truth. You've got to live your truth. Not the truth, but your truth, because it's subjective. Truth comes and truth goes, and you can have your own truth. And yet, the swing in our culture has gone from this pendulum to the other side, where those who say, well, if, I, if what I think is true, uh, in my subjective truth is that males will always be males, for example. Just an example. It's just a biological male is a biological male. That's my truth. No, 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 no. <laughs> it is objectively false, that claim. And so we're very confused as a society. On one hand, we're being told truth is whatever you want it to be, but truth is only whatever you want it to be when it agrees with what we say it is. Because what is objectively true is that there's no objective truth unless it's objectively true. <laughs> that is what's true. That there's no truth unless it's my truth. And nothing but the truth, but everyone gets to have their truth. And you can have your truth as long as it's my truth. And so it's a little bit confusing. If you're the only one that's been a bit confused uh, in the last 20 years, this, this is, it's a battle for truth. There is a battle for truth. And of course, those who communicate to us, the disseminators of 
information? Well, is it information I'm hearing? Is it truth that I'm hearing? We're living in a culture that is quite confused and doesn't know it. And they're confused because they're so certain I can, what is true for me is true for me. Yet at the same time, they're confused because when other people see it differently, they are totally wrong and they're bigots and they're bad and they're any sort of any phobia you can imagine because that's wrong and that's evil if you see something different to me. So this is a very confusing situation in our society. There is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as truth. And ultimately, while truth will be challenged, the very notion of what truth is will be challenged. A restorative community understands that truth is really important because it is truth that sets free. It is truth that sets free. And we need to really guard to be a clear-thinking people, a discerning people in our spirit, a clear-thinking people in our mind. Watch our diet that we feed our ears. Watch the diet we feed our eyes and make sure that we build our life on the truth of the great truth-teller, the one who is truth, the one who is truth, the one who said, you build your life. He who hears my words and practices it because they're submitted to truth, your life will be characterized by stability and security. So when the storms of life come, when the storms of life come, when the storms of life come, you will stand because that truth will be a rock-solid foundation for you. Ephesians 4 talks about the role of church leaders, at least the Ephesians 4 ones, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, is to make God's people secure so that they won't be tossed about by every wind of teaching. And it doesn't say they'll be tossed around by every wind of false teaching. It just said that they won't be tossed around by every wind of teaching. Because a secure people submitted to truth, no had a major on the majors, minor on the minors, keep sturdy, keep secure. Because if we're in the business of providing a restorative environment, one of the things people need to be restored with is with truth, stability and security. And as we've said for years here in this church, we, God has called us to be both a mountain and a fountain. We believe in the security and steadiness of the God who never changes. The great I am. That's what Yahweh means. The name of, that Cyrus said, Yahweh, the great I am, wants you to go and worship him. God has also called us to be secure as a mountain, but as free flowing as a fountain, a life-giving fountain, because the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. He will strengthen your frame. And you'll become a fountain whose waters never stop giving. And in the fight for truth, and in the fight for even knowing what's true, <laughs> there's uh, 150 million people in the US today that don't not really sure what's true. But verse 11 we know is true. That last verse we read, worshipping community knows this even when they're unsure of other things. He is good. And his love endures forever. And all the people laid hold of that truth, raised a shout of praise to the Lord because they knew a restorative process had begun. And that restoration began with worship. And there was more people to come. There were more people that would come into that environment but they began with an atmosphere committed to God, committed to truth, 
sensitive to his spirit, settled in community, a people who were secure, submitted to truth, and sacrificial and generous in their giving. And I hope that as a church, we can exemplify these qualities more and more because God has called us to be a restorative community. I hope you can be a part of it with me. Should we pray? Holy, holy, holy. God of restoration who makes things new. Think of something that God has restored in your life, maybe in your family. What is something that in the past God has performed a restorative work in your life? And why don't you just thank him for that? And today I say, Lord, that that act of restoration you performed for me was not just to do something for me, but it was to reveal something of yourself to me. Today I take that memory and I say, my God is restorative. And my God is the same yesterday as he is today and he will be tomorrow. I serve and I worship a restorative God. And I thank you for calling me to be part of a restorative community. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.